Good morning, church. I'm wondering, as we sit here this morning, uh, who here has ever lived in, uh, in some counties other than San Diego County, like Los Angeles uh, County or, or Riverside County, San Bernardino County, Orange County? Any, anyone lived there for, had the privilege of living in those places for a time? If so, you've become very familiar with a, a certain weather pattern. Uh, that, that is included in those regions. That's not so much included down here in San Diego. It, it's an interesting one because it's one of those weather patterns that was kind of invented, uh, a, a name for it, invented to go along with it. Because they, they noticed that in that area, there's this thing that looks like fog, but it's not really made of nice misty air that's wafted up from the oceans and the, the dew in the morning, it's, or from the clouds. It's it's this stuff that's wafted up from car exhaust pipes and factory towers and stuff. It's made of smoke and exhaust, and so they called it smog. <laughs> You're familiar with this. And the thing about living in those areas, if you've lived there for more than a few months, maybe a couple of years as the seasons change over and over, and you realize that after a while, you kind of get used to it in a way, Right? I mean, on a certain existential level, there's no getting used to smog, but if you've lived there for a while, you just kind of, your lungs adapt a little bit, right? And, and your eyes forget that there are actually mountains over in that range. You just realize there's this wall of, you know, stuff. And you realize there's some really beautiful things like sunsets. Have you ever seen a, a smog-induced sunset? Spectacular! I mean, the, the colors are phenomenal because that haze has a way of just doing something. You get used to smog. And then it's only in times like when you travel down to, you know, God's country in San Diego or, or, or some weather comes through like, uh, like happened last night and clears the air and you take in that deep breath that you go, oh yeah, there's this thing we've been breathing day in and day out in our air. And I was thinking about the fact that beyond the smog of parts of Southern California, no matter what city you live in or what state across this country, for several months now, there has been another kind of toxic haze in the air that we've all been breathing. Have you noticed? And you know we all hoped that by Tuesday of this last week, it would all end and it would go away and we could just breathe that fresh air of civility and all of that. But, of course, 48% of the people from last Tuesday are not happy and 50% are happy and the smoke and smog and toxic stuff in the air continues on past. I'm talking, of course, about politics and all the things that we've been hearing about on TV and on the internet and on the radio and in your mailboxes and all of that, right, that has been going on. And, and that's not to say there are good and wonderful people who work in politics, and politics itself matters to putting our country together. It's a democracy. That's how it goes. But have you noticed that there is something about this time of year that brings out that kind of toxic hazy, smoggy stuff in the air as people go back and forth trying to win an argument. Next week, <clears throat> there's this beautiful holiday coming in our country, in our culture, and in our church, we are going to celebrate 
Thanksgiving. And, it, and when we come to worship in church, it's not so much the story of pilgrims in the Mayflower, it's the story at the end of every year where we celebrate a gracious and generous God and all he has given us. And so next week we'll be celebrating together all that God has given us, but I thought maybe before we get there, it might be nice for us to take a deep breath of clean, fresh air so we'll be ready to celebrate the bounty of God's generosity and good, uh, good gifts next week. Amen. So here's a breath that for me this week was uh, a breath of clean, fresh air. Listen to this. This is, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Colossian Christians early in the church's history. And it's found in chapter 3 of that letter to the Colossians. Starting with verse 8, here is what the Apostle Paul writes to this early group of Christians that was gathered together to hear what he had to say. Writing from prison to them. Verse 8, But now set aside these things, such as anger and rage and malice and slander and obscene language. Don't lie to each other, he says. Take off the old human nature with its practices and put on the new nature, which is renewed in knowledge by conforming it to the one who created it, in the image of the one who created it. In this image, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all things and in all people. Therefore, as God's choice, as God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 13, be tolerant with one another. And if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Verse 15, the peace of Christ must control your hearts, a peace into which you were called as one body. And be thankful people. The word of Christ must live in you richly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in speech or in action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and give thanks to God the Father through him. Ah, right? A breath of clean, fresh, good news from Scripture. Last Tuesday on the, on the radio as I was driving, it was election day, and, and because it was time to stop with the debates and for people to go vote, the radio programming was apparently out of things to say for that day, and so they invited on 
an expert to help us know and understand how the next day, Wednesday morning, when we go to work and stand around the water coolers, this expert was uh, going to teach the proper etiquette of talking about politics with coworkers who may not have experienced things the same way that you did. An expert in workplace relations was going to talk about the etiquette of conversations about politics at the workplace. And she introduced, she said, I want to tell you about something that I call the sandwich principle. I thought, sandwich principle? Yeah, you didn't invent that. I've heard that before. This is basically the place where you start with an affirming statement like, I certainly respect you as a person. And then in the middle, you sort of state carefully your personal beliefs about something. And then you end with another nice thing. We use this all the time with each other, right? If you're going to say something mean to someone, start with a compliment and end with a compliment. and Just give them the jab in the middle. And hopefully they forget it in the process, right? And I thought, the sandwich principle, really? Has it come to this that we need an expert to come on the radio and tell us about the basics of polite conversation with each other? The sandwich principle? Has it come to this? And and you may be thinking to yourselves, really, has it come to this? We now just get sermons that are going to explain to us how to be polite with each other. I want to suggest this morning, church, that what Paul is getting at here is not really like that kind of you know, those Victorian manners from long ago where we learn how to be polite ladies and gentlemen. I don't think that's quite what he's getting at. Nor, I I don't think it's really Paul trying to teach us how to use politically correct language so that we can not offend people in public before we go home and slander them in private. He's not talking about that kind of thing. Paul is getting at something much, much deeper in what he's talking about here as he writes to this church those many centuries ago. For example, verse 17, remember, and this is the well-known verse from this text from Paul, whatever you do, whether in speech or in action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to the God Father through him. In whatever you do or say, bear the name of Christ. In other words, be Christians. What Paul is talking about, in other words, is that how, not only what we say and do, but how we say and do it are matters of our witness on God's behalf to the world. God has called us to witness to the fact that God loves the world unconditionally. And Paul is saying, not only what you say and do, but how you say and do it matters in your witness to the world. The means by which we accomplish our work in the world matters. Our call to proclaim to the world that God loves the world unconditionally, our witness means that the means matter. In other words, the way we do stuff matters. It's not just about what we proclaim, but the good news is found in how we proclaim it. The way we do things matter. So, church, Paul is saying some very basic but I think pretty profound things to these early Christians and probably to all of us. Because sometimes we can get caught up in the what of what we're saying. And we're all familiar with, you know, that, that ethical paradox of figuring out, well, do, do, do the mean, does the end justify the means? And, and there are various scenarios where it's, it's a it's a reasonable question, and people can argue about that. But in terms of 
Christians and our witness to the world, Paul seems to be pretty clear. The end is certainly that we want to tell the world that God loves them unconditionally. But Paul is saying, really, your witness is not in just saying that, but it's in how you say it. I, I, I think of the, uh, the, the example of parents, because in, in a church, that means the way we do things matters. So the way we interact with each other matters. In fact, the way we argue with each other matters. So think of parents. Some of you grew up in homes where your parents argued all the time in ways that were incredibly unhealthy and you learn those patterns yourself and now you're trying to unlearn them. But others of us, I will say, grew up in, in homes where the parents tried their best and got very good at hiding every one of their arguments with each other from their kids, right? As parents, you know this instinct, right? You don't want your kids to see you arguing, and, and so you want them just to realize everything's okay, and so you go off into the bedroom before you yell and scream and, and fight with each other. What happens, though, you know this, psychologists tell us, family therapists tell us, that one of the problems that happens is when, parent, when kids never see their parents arguing in healthy and constructive and respectful ways, the kids get the idea that, well, maybe it's not normal for people who love each other to have any disagreements. And so then they go trying to repress those disagreements in their own relationships. Or when they discover that, wow, I have some serious disagreements with this person, they think there's something wrong with them, and they have never learned how to do it respectfully and appropriately and, and healthfully. And so, of course, we learn, uh, especially experts tell us, but also common sense has taught us that the best kind of parenting is that one that can model for their children how people can argue and disagree in ways that are loving and respectful and healthy and constructive. And then kids can learn to do the same and do that in their own relationships. And I wonder if there's a bit of that here with what Paul's talking about as he talks to his church. I, as Paul goes through this list, and in other letters, he's always going back to similar lists, the assumption for Paul here seems to be that in these churches, good, faithful, Christ-loving, God-honoring people are going to sometimes disagree. Paul never writes and says, stop seeing the world differently from each other, you all have to think exactly the same. Even in the Jerusalem church, when they fought over things as big as circumcision, the final decision was some will be circumcised and some will not be. And the preaching that they did was stop judging each other for it. Paul seems to assume that there is going to be conflict and disagreement among people who are good and faithful and reading their Bible and trying to follow God. And what he's saying is the way we do that conflict is going to be our witness to the world that there can be people who disagree and love each other because there's something more here. And some of you, some of you may be thinking... You, you're kind of preaching to the choir here, Pastor. Uh, we've built our lives about, around being respectful and kind and generous and humble as witnesses of our Christian faith. We, we are people who are kind, and that is true. In many ways, we are good and kind and, and careful with our language with people, and that is to be celebrated. But this morning, at the end of this last week and this season, as we begin a season of thanksgiving and celebration of the birth of Jesus, 
and because the air out there has been so toxic, and because we Christians also live out there, and we do breathe that air, and sometimes it gets even under our skin because we forget that the toxic stuff is in the air. We get used to it. I think it's good news that we need to hear this morning from Paul. It's good news air that we need to breathe because it's that air that gives us life and is the life of the world that we're wanting to serve and minister to. Paul says in verse 9, don't lie to each other. Take off the old human nature with its practices and put on the new nature which is renewed in knowledge by conforming to the image of the one who created it. In this image, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is in all things and in all people. We human beings are pretty good at deceiving ourselves and others by layering ourselves and others with all kinds of selves, right? Or, Or labels, we call them today. We're red states or blue states. And did you notice when you're watching on election night that even a red state, if you go down into the details, it's actually dotted with some red counties and some blue counties. And even a blue state like California is dotted with big red counties and little blue ones and everything. Red, but, but of course our system is we're red states or blue states labels. We're donkeys or elephants We're liberals, conservatives, fundamentalists, progressives, all these things. Old white males, unmarried females, Cuban Latinos, non-Cuban Latinos, the 1%, the 47%, whatever, and on and on. And we can divide and label and all these things very well as human beings, as Americans, Westerners. We're old school Adventists. We're closeted Pentecostals who raise our hands. (laughs) We're hipster emergent Christians who don't have patience for all that other stuff. We're backslidden second-class church members. We're all these different things, layers of selves put on. But Paul is preaching some gospel good news, fresh, fresh air. Because beneath those layers, Paul is insisting, the good news is, beneath those layers and layers of our worldviews and cultures and preferences and politics and personalities, the Apostle Paul is trying to help us see through this smog of difference and division. He's saying there's something fundamental at the core of each and every person we encounter every human being, and that is the image. They are stamped with the image of their creator, the image of God. And Paul is saying for, that you, for those of you who have heard the call to be Christians, to follow Christ, he's holding out this other layer that he wants you to trade in all the other layers for. It's this layer called the new self in Christ. Put on Christ, he says. Clothe yourself in Christ. And as you grow and you're shaped by this new layer, by the image of Christ, you'll discover there's no longer Greek or Jew or circumcised, uncircumcised, all these other things because we are one in Christ and because every person we meet is stamped with the image of the Creator. 
Every person we meet is marked with the dignity of being made by God, loved by God, called by God, valued by God. So church, on this week after elections, this week before Thanksgiving and Advent, breathe in this pure, clean breath of fresh, good news gospel air. It's life-giving. You belong to Christ. You are formed in the image of Christ, in the image of your Creator, and because of that, you are of infinite worth. Whatever other label you wear as a person, as a citizen, whatever it is, wear those things loosely and lightly. Because the only one that matters is that you are a child of God. And then, church, as you go, may you be formed in the image of Christ, your creator and your redeemer, so that you may have the eyes to see through the layers and labels that we put on as human beings, so that you can see straight to the core humanity of every human and person you meet, so that in whatever you do or say, you may be a witness to the good news that those people are of infinite worth to their Creator. That they are children of their Father in heaven and that they are unconditionally loved by God.